Our colleague Aaron Aylworth first went to Minneapolis back in May to cover the aftermath of George Floyd's killing. Later on this summer, she went back. All right, I'm walking toward Cup Food from East 39th Street and Chicago Avenue, so about a block away, but um, you can't get in. Erin wanted to talk to some of the people she met when she was first reporting on this story. What did you want to learn by going back and talking to these people from Floyd's life again? I mean, when I was first there, I met Floyd's roommate, Alvin Monego, and I was really struck by the emotion in Alvin's voice. And honestly, Alvin had just remained on my mind a lot. And so in going back to Minneapolis, I really, I wanted to talk to him again. I wanted to hear more about how Floyd's death had affected him. And that got me thinking about the other people who were connected to Floyd in some way and who had been touched by his killing. It's not like this event stops just because the national spotlight moves on, moves to something else, right? I mean, Alvin Manego is still dealing with his grief. It's a very hurtful thing to be attached to something that that powerful and, and so overwhelming. And then there was Shawanda Hill, who was with George Floyd on the day he died. I was the last hug and kiss he ever gave somebody. You know, she's still dealing with her grief. I also talked to one of the owners of Cup Foods. His store is central to all of this, and they're still trying to deal with the repercussions of this event that has now sparked nationwide protests. The first two weeks, a lot of people were coming, you know, doing live videos on social media, stating this is the store that killed George Floyd. I wanted to go back to Minneapolis because I wanted to see how they were dealing with that, being thrust into the spotlight while at the same time, um, in many cases, you know, trying to process their grief. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, September 4th. Coming up on the show, what it's like when a national tragedy is your personal tragedy, and how the people who knew George Floyd are moving forward. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Before we get started, just a quick disclaimer. There's some swearing and disturbing footage in this episode. So please take care while listening. When Aaron went back to Minneapolis, she returned to the house where George Floyd lived to check in with his roommate, Alvin Manego. Tell me how you guys met. Uh, we met in the park. We were sitting in the park, and I met through a mutual friend, and he introduced me to him, and we just kind of, like, 
just social, like, hey, what you doing? I was watching a softball game. Not long after that first meeting, George Floyd moved in with Alvin and his now fiance Teresa. Alvin said Floyd, most of his friends called him Floyd, would always fill the house with music. After he get off of work, or if he having a good day, he was singing after he ate a meal or just get to singing uh, some rap songs or some old school R&B, and he'll just sing. He sounded like uh, Ray Charles to me. His voice was on that pitch. It was real smooth and bass. He, he would actually say some of the things that Ray Charles would say, like, right on, right on, and make it do what it do, baby. And I just was like, it was nice to hear it because I said he got an old spirit. Singing was a strength, but Alvin says cooking was not. Even microwave stuff, and we'd be like, oh, no, you can't do that. That's going to be too long. And it was like, he just wasn't a, a, a person because he was more a fast food guy. He'd, he'd go to the restaurant before he'd try to cook in the kitchen. What did Teresa say? Teresa said he burned hot dogs? Yeah, he, he would burn hot dogs. <laughs> When was the last time you saw him? It was a Sunday, and uh, Teresa had cooked a big meal, and she had made a nice pot roast. And he, he loved what she cooked, because she, she, that's her best meal. She make a nice pot roast, potatoes and everything, macaroni, cheese, and everything. And he ate, and he just said, oh, man, thank you, Teresa. He said, thank you. You know, what he called a TT. And he said, thank you, man. I was good. That was the last time I saw him. Alvin wasn't with Floyd on May 25th, but one person who was, Shawanda Hill. So Shawanda Hill is in the video of George Floyd's encounter with police. She is one of the passengers in his car. And I met up with Shawanda outside of her house. And we basically sat in my car and just chatted for a little bit about Floyd. All we did was laugh. Yeah. All we did was dance, sing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Listen to music. All we did, he can dance his tall ass off. Both of us used to be in there getting it. Like, we had so much fun. Everybody who knew us and seen us, that's all you can hear is us cracking up. Aww. You know what I'm saying? In that car with Aaron, Shawanda recounted the events of May 25th. Shawanda and Floyd were friends. According to Shawanda, they dated briefly. And really, uh, on the day of his death, they just bumped into each other when they were at Cup Foods. The last day I seen him when we were at the store, like, I went there to, um, to get me a new battery for my phone, and um, he was already there with his friend. Floyd told Shawanda he would give her a ride home from Cup Foods. They went out to the car, which was parked across the street, and waited for another friend who was still shopping. Shawanda said Floyd had just finished a day of working with a moving company, so he was tired and taking a nap in the car. Then, two employees from Cup Foods came out to the car to tell Floyd he'd used a counterfeit $20 bill when he bought cigarettes. According to Shawanda, Floyd was too sleepy to talk with them, so the employees went back in the store. And then later some police officers came over to the car. I looked over, and I seen two police walking across the street. I was like, Floyd, there go the police. There go the police, nigga. Go pay them people their money. You know what I'm saying? I was like, they said that money wasn't real. I was steady trying to wake them up. So the first thing the police did, he tapped on the window with a, right. with a, with a flashlight. Yeah. 
Let me see your hands. Damn, man. Stay in the I'm car. Sorry. Let me I'm see sorry. your other hand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm Let sorry. me see your other please, hand. Please, please, Both hands. In the police body cam footage, you can see Floyd nervously looking over his shoulder as he opens the door. An officer takes out his gun and points it at Floyd. Step out of the vehicle and step away from me, all right? Step out and face away. Step out and face away. Okay, if I was a please, don't shoot me. Please, man. I'm not going to shoot you. Step out and face away. It's like he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to die. It was weird. He just kept saying, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. He was like, no, I've been shot before. Please, what did I do? What did I do? The police put Floyd in handcuffs, and they started walking him away. And Shawanda got out of the car. Get the wall. Yes. The officers made Shawanda stay on the sidewalk. One officer stayed with her, while others walked Floyd across the street and around the corner to the police cruiser. This was when Shawanda lost sight of Floyd. But she saw a crowd gathering, and some people started holding up their phones. I see a white lady start taping, right? And I'm like, why is this lady taping? So I'm on the phone, my daughter, like, girl, they must be beating him up or something because this baby is sitting here taping. And I heard, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. He said, I can't breathe. And I can hear that. And I'm like, what is he doing? What is they doing to him? Soon after an ambulance arrived. And I'm like, what the fuck is the ambulance for? What are they doing? And when the, when the ambulance go away and that man, then the first thing they come over there and tell us, oh, y'all free to go. And so I'm thinking they're just going to, you know, take him downtown, fingerprint him, whatever, give him a ticket and let him go. Shawanda says she headed home not really sure what had happened to Floyd. And I still did not know till 4 something in the morning when the news came on. Start with breaking news this morning. A man has died after being handcuffed by Minneapolis police. Now and then I looked at the TV and I'm like, that's that cut food. And I said, that was Floyd, that was us. I said, oh my God, he's dead. Dude, I can't believe that shit. Like, I just still can't believe it. I miss him so fucking much, though. I'm the last person he gave a hug to. I'm the last person he gave a kiss to. I was right there in the last hour of his fucking life. And I just lost one of my best friends, though. Three months later, Shawanda's still thinking about Floyd all the time, remembering little things, like the way his hands felt. He was so touchy, feeling his hands looked like bricks, but they were so damn soft, you would never think... Alvin also remembers vividly how he learned about his friend's death. It was just a few hours after Shawanda when he got a knock on the door. I went to the door and opened it up. And I saw a Caucasian guy, and I was like, who is that? And it was a reporter. He was from Channel 11. And uh, he said an individual was killed the last night. And we perhaps think it was George Floyd. And I heard this, I'm like, um, Floyd, don't do anything. That would, somebody would try to do something to him. So he said, well, can I show you the video? And he showed me the video. And... Um, 
I looked at it and I saw it and I tried to uh, believe it was dark. <laughs> Give me a second. Try to believe it wasn't him. And uh, I knew it was. I said, it looked like him. It sounded like him. That is him. I'm in shock. I'm in denial and shock. Like, it was very horrific for me to see that. I thought it was really terrible to see someone could do that to another human being. And to see what was done to my friend. And uh, actually watching it, it was... It's terrible. I still can't watch it fully today. One of the hardest parts for Alvin has been the daily reminders of his friend. To come home and see his name on, on our mailbox. And then I even look at the microwave that he always <laughs> messing up cooking things. And it reminds me of him. And you going, well, is it a day that I won't be able to think about this? And I just... I don't know, I, I am still trying to adjust to it. I get depressed a lot, because um, I don't want to believe it, because um, one, didn't deserve it. It shouldn't have happened, it's just, it's senseless. It's immoral, it's anything that I think about being a human, it, it, it was against, and I was like, why, you know? And, and the answer was just like, just some people got that much hatred in them. It's a very hurtful thing to be attached to something that that powerful and, and so overwhelming. I, I, I keep thinking that I'm strong enough to make it through without getting emotional, but it'll never go away. But Floyd's killing wasn't just a moment of personal grief. It was a moment of national grief, which spilled out into the streets of cities across the country and led to calls for police reform. In Minneapolis, many of those protests happened outside the store that called the police on Floyd. Coming up after the break, Aaron talks to one of the owners of Cup Foods. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Walmart. Walmart is committed to helping associates live better. As one of the first companies to remove college degree requirements from the majority of their roles, Walmart is creating opportunities for associates to build careers based on their real-life experiences. In fact, the company is investing over $1 billion in career-driven training and development programs. Learn why it pays to work at Walmart at walmart.com slash skills first. Welcome back. 
Cup Foods is the nucleus of this entire event, right? You know, it's George Floyd's presence at this store that sort of sets off this chain of events. And so I really wanted to see Cup Foods. Have you seen the whole business? Uh, I just took a wander around, but I would yeah. love a uh, well, guided tour. Let's give you a guided tour. So, when so I got to Cup Foods, I met with Jamar Nelson, who is a friend of the owners, and he's also the store's spokesman. And he took me through the store. So produce that we haven't been able to use because we haven't been open. Um, here they have uh, deli, as we call it. And so Jamar showed Aaron the different things that are available when the store is open. A desk for cell phone repairs, a deli counter, candy, some sports merchandise. You know, everything. One-stop shop, you know. Um, this is the cheers of the neighborhood because everybody knows you by name. We take pride in that. I mean, Cup Foods is this community gathering spot, right? But in the days after George Floyd was killed, Cup did face some anger. You know, people were questioning why they called 911 for this fake $20 bill that, you know, sets off this chain of events that leads to George Floyd's death. And they've really been grappling with that. So, okay, so let's introduce you first. Mahmoud Abumayali, co-owner of Cup Foods. So I talked with one of the store's owners, Mahmoud, um, who also goes by Mike, about what it was like to be on the receiving end of that frustration. The first two weeks, a lot of people were coming, you know, doing live videos on social media, stating this is the store that killed George Floyd. That was the main trend. This is the store who killed George Floyd. This is a store that's racist against black people. This is the store that thinks they're better than black people, not knowing we're a minority just like you, and not knowing we've been in this community for 31 years. I wasn't even present, and I was taking a lot of the blame for it. And Jamar says that Mahmoud and the employees who were there that day, many of them teenagers, have faced threats. What kind of threats? Oh, threats of violence, death threats. Oh, yes. That young man that placed the police call, He's like a mere shell of himself. Um, on edge. Oh, totally on edge. That's not fair. That's not fair. That kid shouldn't be like that, you know? The police were called because, I mean, it's protocol. Yeah. So, I mean, the employees are trained that if they get a counterfeit bill to call it in. Got it. And how are you feeling about that now? I mean, I feel the same as I, as I, as I was before. If I would have known that he's going to get killed, obviously he wouldn't have called. I mean, I feel I feel terribly sorry for the family to have to lose a loved one to police brutality. I think events could have been different, but hindsight is twenty twenty. We don't know. What we do know is that we need to change how the encounters are between black and brown men and police officers. Period. Do you feel guilty? For what? The call. I feel terrible for what happened. But the guilt is on the Minneapolis police. We should be clear about that. You know, we shouldn't have to worry about somebody dying if we call the police on them. Police are supposed to be our, our serve and protect. 
will this change your protocol? It will, and how we decide when we should call the police. And we think it's, you know, for the best interest of our patrons and staff that unless there's a violent crime taking place, we will police our own matters. In the days after Floyd's killing, Cup Foods looked for its own way to mark what happened. So a group of muralists called me and asked if I had any ideas for a mural. And there was an existing mural there already, and it was a picture of farm animals. And I told them I'd love to have a new mural relating to George Floyd on top of that. And they actually did it for free, which I'm very thankful for. And they were very, very talented, and they finished it in one day. Did you have any feelings or thoughts as you saw it go up? I did. I just was so... I felt like we were honored to have this. In the center of the mural is George Floyd, stoically looking off in the distance. The words, I can breathe now, are painted across his chest. Over the summer, the mural has evolved from a gathering place for protests to more of a memorial, a place for people to come and reflect and mourn. Many leave flowers and candles, cards. Alvin has stopped by to see it. It's beautiful, and you're just looking at everything, like, in, in awe. I don't know what to say or where to look. I mean, even the, the flowers that were laid there that are no longer, you know, they, they look dead. They, they still look beautiful to me because they, they, they are there. And then to see a, a little note from a little girl saying, you know, I love you. My name is such and such, and I'm five years old right by the flower, you just go, wow, this is, this is beautiful. Uh, just recently, um, uh, someone dropped an envelope at our door, me and Teresa, and I opened it up, and all of these um, students from California had uh, wrote letters to Joyce Floyd to us, and me and Teresa read every letter. What did you do with them? We still got them. It was beautiful. Where are they? <laughs> Let me get it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that is a long letter. Telling us how they were so saddened by George Floyd. And look at one of the young ladies, her name is Roxy. Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed that all people would be treated equally. We both have a dream. My dream is for kindness. And that's Roxy. How did that make you feel when you got it? Oh, we felt really good because it was like, you know, just, you know, little kids that's are 9 or 10, they want to write you a letter to, to ask you, are you all right? And give you some encouragement. And you go... Now, see, this is what the world should be about. I see, wow. So I just be like, you know, it's things like that that helps you through the day, you know, because, you know, when you're not doing good, it's always some brightness. Alvin is trying to find resolution. For him... And for many others, 
Part of that is seeing justice served for George Floyd. The police officers involved in the killing were fired and faced charges, including second-degree murder, as well as aiding and abetting second-degree murder. They've all pleaded not guilty. The Minneapolis police chief has promised reform. What did you learn by going back to Minneapolis and talking to Alvin and Shawanda and Mahmoud? My conversations with them show me just how difficult it's going to be for them to deal with their grief, come to terms with this event, especially because in some ways it's not just their grief anymore, but it's a piece of national grief. You know, we have this huge reckoning that is happening across the U.S. around being Black in America and what that means for how people are treated. And, you know, I was in Kenosha last week, and it's really so much of the same, so much of the same anger, so much of the same pain, and so much of the same grief that people in Kenosha, like people in Minneapolis, are now trying to process. That's all for today, Friday, September 4th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show is made by Gerard Cole, Pia Godkari, Annie Minoff, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Caitlin O'Keefe, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our show is engineered by Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapok, with help from Sam Bear and Bobby Lord. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Bobby Lord, Peter Leonard, Emma Munger, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Back-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Additional footage in today's episode is courtesy of Darnella Frazier via Storyful. Additional help this week from Russell Gregg. Thanks for listening. We're off Monday for Labor Day. See you Tuesday.